0: welcome to your Afrofuturist podcast. I'm Ahmed Best. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate you being here. Maurice Wilkins Jr. is a diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. And when people talk about diversity and creating a culture of diversity within a company, corporation, not-for-profit, not for educational facility, sometimes it gets really boiled down to something incredibly simple and basic and is ignored or their eyes rolled or you get the kind of red herring argument of we're all equal we all have the exact same experience we should we should be able to do this without help most of us in the afrofuturist world most of us in These art spaces, tech spaces, consider ourselves to be very liberal thinking people, very open to different experiences, open and sensitive to the way everyone has had the opportunity to get to the space. Unfortunately, there are a lot of little things that get missed when you're talking about culture and the, the influence of culture, especially in Silicon Valley and in tech. And it's been my experience, um, as well as a lot of people's experience, who, who occupy those spaces that these cultural differences aren't addressed under the auspices of we are all here doing the same thing. I think the thing that makes industry interesting and I think the thing that makes America unique is the multiculturalism and the multinationalism that is supposedly or or aspirationally ensconced in the fabric of the country. Very recently, we've been moving away from that as a country and been thinking more along the homogenous kind of separate ideas of who's what and doing what where. Now, the reason why I dig speaking to Maurice is because his job is to make sure that within this entire corporation, within Chan Zuckerberg and just in general as a thought leader and a thinker in the diversity space, his job is to be able to create an environment in which we can all feel safe, feel heard, understood, and thrive. And when we talk um, in this conversation, we talk a lot about culturally what separates someone from um, having an easier time to a more difficult time getting a job at tech. We also talk about this thing that I think isn't talked about enough, which is once you get in the space, how do you stay in the space and still be viable? It's very difficult because once you get the job, it seems as if in a lot of times, it seems as if a lot when you're talking about diversity or being a quote unquote diversity hire, there is a stigma that goes along with that. And sometimes that stigma um, creates resentment. And that resentment can manifest itself in many ways, either aggressive-aggressive or passive-aggressive or just just a lack of inclusion. And it, and, it, and it could take many shapes and it could take many forms. It could be a lack of inclusion when it comes to holidays. It could be a lack of inclusion when it comes to food. Um, so Maurice, what Maurice does is he brings that type of idea and sensitivity to the Chan Zuckerberg space. And he is from an infrastructure point building a culture of diversity. And I think that is really, really, really important, especially when we're talking about these shared tech spaces. So um, it's a great conversation. Maurice is a, is a, is a phenomenal thinker, a wonderful guy, and um, really speaks to a lot of this idea of diversity and how we can build uh, something, whatever it is, be it, an educational facility, be it a a tech corporation, be it an artistic endeavor, how we can weave cultural diversity and inclusion into the fabric of what you want to start from the very beginning. And um, Chan Zuckerberg is lucky to have him. So without further ado, please enjoy the conversation with Maurice Wilkins, Jr. The future. Maurice Wilkins, welcome to the Afrofuturist podcast. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate it. And um, when our resident Afrofuturist, Lonnie Brooks, um, told me about you, I got super excited and interested because I think what you're doing and what you do is shaping the future. But with everything that shapes the future, there there is, you know, a resistance to change. And how do you deal with talking to people who want to start with diversity and inclusion, um, or talking to founders who want to start with diversity and inclusion, but are afraid of it, are afraid to, implement some of the ideas into it or even afraid to just approach it because they feel like there's a negative stigma attached to it how do you approach the idea from that point
1: of view yeah i mean i would say i don't think it's as stigmatized as it was before i think it's kind of like one of those things where everyone is doing it and everyone's talking about it so you know it's i think it's less it's less about that right now i think part of it is big when you're talking about founders and folks who are like trying to build a startup is convincing them that it's worth the investment. So if I'm a start, a startup founder and I just raised $6 million how do I convince like how, how can I convince someone like that that they should be one slowing down hiring two um, you know trying to hire diverse teams convince them that it's worth like the investment initially so I think it's less about the like convincing people that you should do it. I think it's now more about like it's what is the inverse investment and how do you how do you ensure that people see that it, it's a good return on on said investment. So if I was saying that to a founder, I would be talking a little bit more about what happens when you build teams you know that are diverse from the from the beginning. Um, I think it helps to one build better products. It helps inform products in a way that um, teams of like white straight. Cis males just you know just can't do, and so I'm thinking. So for me, it's like thinking a lot about what that means. It's thinking about how do you you know gather people and move people along the the journey in a way that's like convincing people that it's you know it's the right thing to do. I think people overwhelmingly at this point agree, but now it's just like, like how do you how do you get the the the, the boat moving in the right direction? And so I think that's part of where I am trying to come to it that way.
0: And from where you start, from when you started into now, how has that conversation changed? And do you feel like, uh, was there a a point, a tipping point where people actually became more open to building diversity from the ground up or are you still fighting for it?
1: Yeah. I I think you're still very much fighting for it. Um, the fact of the matter is like, it's, it sounds good people want the PR people want to be able to say, oh yeah, you know I care a lot about these things but I think it's putting like the resources behind that is still still a challenge. Um, and I am completely unique in this situation largely because I work for an organization that is at least at the you know the surface level and and the level below absolutely committed to to doing this. Um, and so I think for me it's about now, Moving beyond those like initial levels of like, hey, yes, we're committed to this. Yes, we want to you know build teams that are diverse to incorporating the equity piece. So like we get like the diversity like diversity part of it. So now it's about around, like, around building equity and thinking about what that means and talking about like how power informs that. Talking about like how whiteness and white supremacy and all these other things that people don't really want to talk about when doing the work um, informs informs what we're trying to build so I'm in a super unique, I think, opportunity because, you know, I'm not having the one-on-one conversation now. It's about like taking it to the next level.
0: And how, how did that happen at Chan Zuckerberg? Like, <laughs> what, what was it about them that they said, you know what, this is actually important to us? Because it's a very unique mindset, especially when it comes to Silicon Valley. Most of the time we're talking about companies where inclusion they don't believe that it actually is necessary to build a product what was it from why chan zuckerberg from the beginning what was it about them that said we have to do this as an infrastructure thing rather than as an aside thing
1: yeah i mean i think part of it is like you're you're building something completely from the ground up and it's new and shiny but unlike a traditional tech company it's not driven by like profit. So like, you know, I'm not beholden to, okay, if we don't meet this quota, or we don't like sell this product or this amount of this, this month, then, you know, this is on the line. So I think part of it was if we say that we are about uh, promoting equal opportunity and giving access to folks and taking a look out of the situation, then there's some things that need to be in place in order for that to happen. Um, and I think it's because the the focus areas, I think it's because, Mark and Priscilla are, you know, so Mark and Priscilla are the founders, um, and they, at this point in their life and their career and, you know, having kids like you, you realize that if you want to build a better world for your kids to be able to be a part of, there needs to be um, some work that's done. And what better way for folks who have a bunch of access, money, if we really want to be honest, um, to do that than to, like, take take control of some of some of that and, and lead, lean into it. And so... For me, I you know I came to CZI a little over a year ago. There were about a hundred and fifteen, hundred and twenty employees when I joined. Um, and that is absolutely unheard of to bring someone in to begin thinking about that. So I think it's one of those things where you you have to, if you really want to make the investment, you have to like put the infrastructure in place. And so they brought me on to to do a lot of that. And it's been an interesting journey so far. And it hasn't been easy, but it's easier than a lot of other experiences or a lot of other companies that I've heard about and watched over the last few years since I've been in tech.
0: And can you describe the process of what you do when you first enter into a situation where people wanna build this diversity and inclusion? And are there methods or steps that you have taken in the past that you have updated, upgraded, or gotten rid of to make it easier for diversity and inclusion to be part of the dna of a, of a place
1: yeah i will i actually want to name that before coming to czi i had not done diversity and inclusion as a full-time job before mm-hmm. um so that's i think that's also part of like what makes the place unique because um, if you're looking at most companies especially if they're like building out that function you typically want to go to someone who has a high profile, who's done it a bunch of times, who came out of HR, or you know, who is a recruiter by training, or just happens to be the one or two black people at the organization. That's um, at CZI, that was complete, complete opposite. So I hadn't worked in HR. I did. I wasn't a recruiter. Um, I had an education background, so I wasn't like super high profile in like the tech space. So many people would ask like, how the hell did you, like how did how did you land that? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't have a very good answer other than like <laughs> the universe inspired in my favor along yeah. with a few connections that I had. Um, and so I, I just want to name that first. Um, the second piece around like what, what you do, I think particularly do when you first get there. I think it depends on the organization. I think it depends on, you know, kind of what, what you're trying to build out. For yeah. me, it was getting a pulse of like, how the organization was doing, um, understanding like what the political and social, like social landscape was, and then using that information to kind of figure out where the broader like pitfall slash processes, breakdowns were worse. And so spent the first month and a half like doing a listening tour, um, talking to all key stakeholders, figuring out where our internal processes were, learning a little bit about all all of that stuff. and I think the cool thing about CZI is that you get to build a lot of these things uh, as, as we're learning. So one of the things that was in place, you know, is the interview process. And so we recognize that in the traditional tech interview process, that there are things that people are being judged on that don't necessarily align with their, with their job. And so part of my job and the rest of the people that I get to work with every day job is to think about what are the ways in which you can reimagine that process? What are the ways in which you can think about uh, the interview that allows for us to more closely mirror what's happening um, in in the job? And so one example of that is whiteboarding. And so it's not a very popular sentiment for me to say this, but um, in many cases, whiteboarding is not the the best case, the best way to judge a person's ability and potential. And so part of what we're trying to do is, Give our, our folks, particularly who are like new grads or interns, the opportunity to to do pair programming instead of whiteboarding. And,
0: can you and, explain? I'm oh, sorry to cut you off. Sure, can sure. you explain no, can a little totally bit?
1: Yeah. yeah, for sure. What's so whiteboarding? As a, as a software engineer, um, particularly in the interview process, you're usually asked a, a set of data structures and algorithms to demonstrate your ability to, to be a good a good software engineer and so i'm going to tell you how that plays out particularly for diversity and inclusion and so if i am someone who went to stanford and i have worked in a lab at stanford and i've worked with really cool developers and i've had access to you know the best companies um, then the interview process is pretty straightforward you understand exactly what you should be doing you know how to play the game you know like what you should be working towards so when you come to an interview like Facebook or Google, um, the, the, the process is very similar. So you're going you're, you're, you have a set of interviews. Um, it's usually a loop. And so they're looking for a few things. So they want to see your technical ability. They want to ensure that you, you know, fit on the team and that your values and beliefs usually align. And so part of that technical, technical piece is the, the whiteboard. And so instead of doing traditional coding like you would do on a computer, um, you're asked a data structure algorithm problem, and you're expected to solve that. And then there's someone in the room who's either providing you support or, you know, helping to like move you forward to solve said problem. And so the problem is when you don't come from a traditional background and you haven't practiced a bunch of data structure and algorithms, you typically bomb that part of the interview. And if you bomb it, you of course you're not moving forward. Um, but if I am traditional and I, you know, I went to like I said, Stanford is the example, then I'm already practicing these these problems. I'm already getting access to, to the, the support needed to get through that process. And so, so part of what we're thinking about is how do we ensure that folks, regardless of where they come from, um, get a fair and equitable chance at getting through the interview. And then the other piece of it was pair programming. So that's when you are on a computer with whoever the other person is in the room, and you're actively solving a problem that more closely mirrors what you're doing in your, day, like in your daytime job. And so that's that's part of what we think, it, it, part of our thesis of change is, maybe giving that as an opportunity for folks to be able to use as an interview will help particularly non-traditional candidates um, get through the interview process more quickly.
0: So when we're talking about this interview process, mm-hmm. Is there a possibility for it to be organized in a way that is not inclusive? And I'm talking about just more than, all right, you come from a non-traditional background, but in a way like how you have to be from a specific part of the world in order to approach a problem um, in a specific way. You know, like take, for example, the SATs, you know, how the SATs were really developed to exclude um, a certain amount of education and, and, and include an education that you can only get in a specific area at a specific place is it has there been a way or has it been has it been like maybe if conscious or unconsciously these processes have been put in place to exclude and not include
1: yeah, um, I, I think that there are unintentional and sometimes intentional ways that interview processes exclude folks. Um, so I think there's there's two ends of it. I think if you're looking at um, a company who has an affinity towards like doing the interview process a certain way, um, you are going to ask very classical um, algorithm questions. Um, if you came from a boot camp or a school that, you know isn't in the, let's say the top 50 you may not have had access to um the practice slash like preparation needed to to get through said um said data structure algorithm and so I, I think that part of it is not that it's intentional it's just the way in which it are always has done always has been done and then the people who are leading these companies perpetuate the same idea that this is the standard i had to go through it so now let me ensure that i Emulate the same process to everyone around me. Um, but if you think about who is leading most of these companies, who's leading like most of these engineering teams, they they typically look look a certain way. Um, and part of why the challenge exists is because that access to um, getting through that process or learning how to get through that process is not like universally distributed. And so, like of course, you can go online and you can get access to a bunch of like prep courses and you know uh, the book "Cracking the Coding Interview," but if if you're not like living out like those 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 processes on a daily basis, it just becomes really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of what we see happening is what my colleague would call like pattern matching. So we um, automatically assume that if you check certain boxes, if you attended certain schools, that you know you're the right candidate, you're the right person to, to fit to the process. And so what you find is when that interview process happens, um, when when someone already sees that you, you fit certain boxes. You're likely to get more, you know, get a little uh, extra hint on a problem, or there's some leniency that's given to you versus a person who may not have come from a similar background as those folks. So I think there, the bias comes in on typically on the un, uh, the unintentional front, but nevertheless, there's definitely bias all throughout the process. That's pretty much at all at all companies, not just the big ones
0: so when this happens and and you see this how how are you able to explain to founders or explain to teams that are hiring people that you're you're kind of setting you're setting yourself up for a diversity problem like how do you approach that to them when you know i'm assuming a lot of people in Silicon Valley don't think they're having a diversity problem because they see one or two black faces in a room or, you know, they got a black friend. Because what happens is, you know, and I can speak from my experience here in Los Angeles and in Hollywood, um, when it comes to writer's rooms and when it comes to who is actually selling work that ends up in front of people on a screen, there is definitely an unsaid exclusivity to the work right what people don't understand is most of the writers in Hollywood all come from one place and they all yeah. have done the exact same thing and it's it's a it's a funnel you know what I mean they go from Harvard they do the Harvard lampoon they get they get a television writing gig right and recently there's been there was an article that that said something to the effect of you know hollywood is looking for diverse writers but there aren't very many out there
1: yeah to which everybody you're talking about the, the the pipeline problem it's the same thing that that exists in tech absolutely, um, and, absolutely. and so i would say to to founders or, or folks who have the ability to like make decisions around hiring um that i think this is also not I'm, i think i'm I say things that are not always popular particularly even among like black black and brown folks. Um, I, I do not think that it is completely a pipeline problem. I do think that there are problems with the pipeline, particularly pipeline of black and brown folks who come from the non top 50 schools. And I say that because, you know, some people will say, no, it's not a pipeline problem at all. I would say that, yes, there is a problem with the pipeline largely because there, there's an, a lack of preparation, there's a lack of training, there's a lack of um, access to a holistic, like understanding the holistic interview process. And so I say that to say, if I am a student who went to Morehouse, which were, which is where I went undergrad, um, and I am a CS major, and I have not had access to a bunch of computer science uh, not not computer science. A bunch of developers who are in, in in their career. Then all I'm taught is the traditional computer science approach, which is highly focused on getting people into masters and PhDs in computer science, which is not going to get you an ac- access to a developer job. And so what you do is you're 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 learning the things to to enter a master's degree program versus like all the things that you should be doing to actually be become a, a developer. And so that put you, automatically puts you at a disadvantage. And so part of what I say the problem is, is there's not enough access, there's not enough information, there's not enough sharing and like building of the the, the communities that exist on historically black college campuses, MSI campuses, um, campuses that have large populations of folks who um, people would call underrepresented. And so my, my critique is that until we we're actually throw, putting more resources behind like bridging the gap and the the knowledge that that happens on traditional campuses that you know we're gonna to continue to see see this problem. Because the fact of the matter is there's a bunch of black and brown um, developers that will not get through some of these processes because they weren't prepared prepared in the same way as their colleague who went to to Harvard or MIT. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about figuring out like how do you open, open the, the access to this pipeline that exists and you can see, but just aren't getting through the process. And so I think part of it is making the investment into the early access programs that exist in cities, but also working with universities to, to help think through, reimagine, provide access to um, more of the skills and resources needed. For for students to actually get through the process,
0: right? It's not a pipeline. We need pipelines.
1: We need yes, multiple, exactly. multiple and ways. Need, and you need to ensure that your your pipelines are not um, are not ones that are going to be like leaky. So you know, if I have a pipeline, and there are a bunch of like a bunch of people who are going through it, but they're com- continuously dropping out, not because of like their own like volition, but because there are things that they just aren't having access to, or they aren't told that this is the way in which you prepare, or this is how your portfolio should look, or that you should be committing to like GitHub, you know, pretty often, almost every day, then I'm automatically excluded because I I don't fit the mold in which people are expecting you to. Yes, absolutely.
0: I wanna shift gears a little bit and talk about once you're in the organization mm-hmm. and um, why, people of color leave because there's um, and, and I don't think this is talked about a lot we talk a lot about how to get the job. We don't talk about once we got the job the challenges of being in the job and how um, how easy it is to either ask to be leave ask to be asked to leave or to mm-hmm. leave on your own volition. Yeah. Because the environment is not one in which you can, you know, either move up or thrive or survive. Yeah. Um, and I, I would really love for you to speak on being in the job and the challenges when it comes to diversity and inclusion when you're actually in the organization.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that's part of the, the bigger challenge is how do you create belonging at an organization versus like getting people there? I think that's more of the easier part, depending on what the organization is. And so, for for me, I've worked at three tech organizations over the last four-ish years, and it's hard. Like, you know, it it's very difficult to be in spaces that were not <laughs> clearly designed for you um, and that don't support you in the way that you like feel like you need to be supported. Um, and so, I think the the short of it all is is that. It's hard it's very difficult and if you aren't taught to how to navigate in those spaces you typically have a more difficult time and in them or even if you are taught it you get tired of like going through the the motions of like feeling like you need to change how you how you talk or like the, the way in which you bring yourself to work all that stuff so i think it's, it's hard and the simple answer to that i don't think many organizations have solved that problem um, largely because the people who are helping to inform that culture don't always reflect the people in which you are trying to to inc- include into a culture. So I think there's a there's a few disconnects there. Then I think the other piece of it is like the way in which we we try to like build community in in these spaces, particularly for like the like the company wide culture. Like th- those things are informed by um are not informed by by black and brown folks. Particularly, black and brown folks who may not, you know, decide that they want to play ping pong every day or uh, have an IPA, you know, as a part of their happy hour. You know, those things are super simple. But like when you look at like the the magnification of 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 culture and like how like deals are made and like how people like feel connected to things. If I never see myself in the activities that we do in the like the norms that we build, then it's really hard to be connected to that. And so, what you find is uh, folks of color will come to companies, will get paid a good amount of money depending on what their role is, and still be still be drawn to leave because it's, it doesn't feel like they're a part of anything bigger than themselves, and they feel like an island. And, you know, they're, then when you add the other piece of it that they then live and exist in spaces that outside of work also don't reflect themselves, it's really hard to want to wanna stay. In a place like the Bay, because it's really difficult to to see yourself in it, to to be able to find that community. Um, and when you do, it's you know it's the same people talking about the same things. And so like there's no there's not a bunch of diversity that exists in in the way in which we exist and build in the space, right. because it's not designed for us. Absolutely.
0: So how do you stay? What do you, what do you do? What do you tell those people who are just like I'm? I'm just I'm not being utilized. I'm not here. And my point of view is not accepted. What do I do rather than leave? Because, you know, being black and being brown, you don't get a lot of chances sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's this fear of if I leave this gig, I probably will never work, or it might be a minute until I get another job, especially doing what I'm doing. So, yeah. um you're really talking about how to preserve self, how to save your identity, working in a space that doesn't really see your value. What do you say? Yeah. What do you say to those people?
1: I mean, I think part of it is what I say to myself. You know, I exist the same way, I think, and that's a lot of the people that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and for me, I think it's about, one, finding finding your tribe, finding the people that you feel like are you know in your corner, who understand you, who will blow you up, who are constantly like around in a way that that you need to exist in this space. Um, I think for me, when I got here, I didn't know anyone. I literally um, only knew the people that I was working with. and the first team that I worked on, uh, I was the only person of color and I, I well, I, I was one of two people of color only black person on the team. And so like, when you think about like what that does to to your psyche, it makes it really difficult to, to feel like you, you belong in the space. And so what I had to realize is that in order to, I had one or two options, I could stay here and figure it out or I could leave and go back to DC where almost everyone around me looked like me. Um, I chose the latter because I thought I had the opportunity to create something different and something new. And so I used it as an opportunity to, to, one, build my own tribe, but beyond that, build stronger community. I, I would say stronger community um, for, for black and brown people, particularly black people in the Bay. Um, so I, I quit my job, moved to Oakland, uh, started to try to figure out my way at another startup, slash figure out like what my presence would be in, in this space. And for me, I saw it as an opportunity to, to enter like a completely different space, which I, which I would call community building. And so I started to like host events and build with people who had similar interests. And what we saw is that after a while, because there were so few things or so few people who were actually like doing that, like that, you know, people started to to come around. And as a result, you know, we built a bigger and bigger community of people who are like hungry to, to be able to be part of something that, that reflects their own personal experiences and isn't full of just like, oh, tell me where you work. Tell me about like, you know, oh, about the, the, the last cool thing that you did. It's more about like, let's build a space where we can genuinely exist and talk and, and you know, enjoy enjoy life in a way that doesn't require like the the superficial shit that, that oftentimes gets perpetuated in these spaces. So I think that's part of it. And I think the other piece is being able to be a part of, um, workplaces that allow for you to to be able to infuse the things that you care about into the space because otherwise you're, you're gonna go crazy in them um, and so part of what I am trying to build particularly at CCI is working closely with other folks who exist and look like me to be able to to bring parts of ourselves to work that we t- typically wouldn't. Um, one interesting example of that is um, right around Juneteenth, like no one at my, how many people at work knew what the hell Juneteenth was, and so we're like, okay, let's use this as a learning opportunity. Let's bring, um, let's bring some learning into the space. Let's let's use food as a medium to talk about that. Let's let's begin like bridging the gap to like things that we care deeply about or like that are representative our of, of of culture um, into a place where folks have no real context for it. And so part of what, a, what, what being in those spaces and being a leader in those spaces is, is being able to, to force those conversations in a way that if I was, you know, somewhere else, I probably wouldn't be able to do.
0: Right. Here's a, an incredibly leading question that you could completely disagree with if you like, but sure. um, do you think black people are being marginalized specifically when it comes to talking about diversity?
1: Uh, that's a, that's an interesting question. Marginalized as it relates to what though?
0: Marginalized as it relates to you guys had overcome already. Like y'all don't need very much help anymore. We all know that you exist. Let's work on Latinos. Let's work on Asians. Let's work on women. Let's, let's look at black folk as the, um, not the exception to needing the help.
1: Yeah, I would, I would disagree with that. Um, I think that, well, I think that may be people's, some people's perspective, but oftentimes like you, when you're looking at people of color and you're looking at underrepresented minorities, we're looking at black and what some people call Latinx, Latino, Latina, whatever you want to use as the, as the marker. Um, those are the two, like, if we're looking at Asian folks, they are not underrepresented and, quite honestly people will do what's easiest and they'll focus just on gender and which ultimately becomes let's focus on white women and you know if we're really being honest with around like what many diversity programs are it's we want to create a proxy for 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 diversity which ultimately becomes let's focus on only women which then in turn becomes white women and we exclude all the other, other populations of people that don't fit that. And, and if you look at like numbers and particularly around like gender in tech, there's been a bunch of movement and a bunch of um, improvements in the space particularly, um, but the only the place where you see those movements are, um, are, are white women. And so that part of what we're trying to figure out is how do you, Ensure that that's not the only thing that you're thinking about and talking about when when looking at diversity. Um, how do you ensure that we are building communities and building spaces that are literally looking at like how do you how do you build and how do you build an organization that thinks about the folks at the margins at the fringes of it, which are which are black and brown folks, particularly black and brown women. And so for me, I'm thinking about like how do you create that space. Um, So I would say that people, we use black people as the like the example of like have that that have made it here in the valley because that ain't the case at all. Right.
0: Um, Let's talk about equity, and you brought this up a little bit earlier. And what does equity look like for um, Ah. a diverse workplace? Like, what is equity, and how do you build equity? as a part of the diversity infrastructure.
1: Yeah, that's a hard one. And that's something that most people aren't trying to build for um, because equity requires the the removal or like realignment of power. Um, And so when with that, that means the people in which hold and and hoard power and and like privilege have to one step aside in a way that those folks particularly aren't used to doing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's hard. So if you're just thinking about it, just like theoretically, it's about like sharing and distributing power in a way that allows for folks at the bottom and at the margins to be able to, to have access to it. Um, what that looks like in tech, um, I think it's it starts, if we're just looking at this pure human capital. It's about ensuring that particularly people of color, particularly women um, have Access and opportunity to leadership positions, um, have active voices in spaces. Um, it means literally, as a man shutting up and allowing for for women's voices to be represented in a way that that is true and authentic, and as a man leading in a way, particularly if I'm a white man, ensuring that in meetings that I'm not just you know taking all, taking up all the space but also ensuring that I am amplifying and giving voice to folks who typically are ignored because they are perceived to be powerless. And so I think part of it is using using power and privilege to help amplify, amplify the work that other people are doing and then ensuring that with that power and privilege that you're creating way, creating pathways and pipeline for folks that don't look like you to be able to, to have access to that. So I think that's like the, the earliest thing. But that's that's just a super difficult notion for folks because they are not used to giving up power in that way.
0: So how do you build from the ground up with that in mind? You know what I'm saying? Like How does a founder come at it and go, I wanna be able to provide equity for my diverse um, set of developers, programmers, employers, employees mm-hmm. so forth like how do you how do you uh, you know and i'm assuming it's a conscious you have to make this conscious choice
1: oh yeah you absolutely it has to right. be conscious it does, absolutely doesn't doesn't happen
0: yeah
1: yeah right. yeah it's impossible if it's not intentional um i think part of what has to exist um especially if you're like an earl like a founder who's literally starting out is thinking about who are the people that are on your early team like ensuring that it's not your frat brothers who all went to Yale with you, but it is a mixed group of people who come from different experiences. Even if they're all like, you know, of a similar like ethnic background, even though like that 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 also should be changed too. But if, if we're just going with like diversity of of thought and experiences, then let's start there, ensuring that there there's some representation um, beyond the folks that. That have very similar experiences to you. I think it's the first place to start. And then, as you're designing your teams, thinking about like how do you ensure that you're you're making space for folks who, like I said, who don't who aren't in your traditional network, who aren't already having access to the same thing that you have access to. So I think that's the first step. Um, there's a lot of other steps there, but I think that's the first thing. And I think people don't really even start there. We just skip. Okay, well. I wanna build this team with everyone I know, which totally makes sense because you're starting out, you're trying to figure this thing out, and there, you know, there's a bunch of risks associated with it. So you want to do that with people who who you trust. Um, so I think part of it is like how do you broaden that circle of folks and circle of trust in a way that allows for 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 more for more diversity to exist, you know, when you're beginning. Which as we know, research shows that most white people don't have many non-white friends that makes it very difficult to even (laughs) get past that notion so i don't know i don't have i do not have the answer for it but i think part of it is like thinking about just the intention that goes along with building teams that don't look just like you and building circles that allow for that to happen
0: is there a way to build trust um Third party wise, so when somebody is brought into a situation, they can be like, "Oh, okay, you are from, you know, such and such program, and we trust that they're, you know, they're aligned with the same type of idea, mission statement, etc. That we are aligned with. Let's use you to build this thing."
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that's hard. I think there's a lot of like things that we we aren't factoring into like that that trust piece. I think part of it is like if I come from an organization that's aimed at like helping to 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 create more diversity in tech. And I particularly focus on black people. And we know that if you you look at like early access programs, you look at nonprofits that are like doing this work, there are very few that are actually resourced in a way that allow for for the quality of candidates and quality of program, people from the program to actually be supported in a way that that builds that trust. So I think we got a, we got a whole bunch of problems when you really are looking at like access, you're looking at resourcing. Like there, you know, we aren't supporting programs in a way that that meet that allow for that to happen, particularly programs that focus on Black and Brown people. We'll do like the, uh, the oh yeah, let's it's Black History Month. Let's uh, give a couple hundred dollars to. Black Girls Code or Hidden Genius Project or something like that just out of like, oh, let's just check the box. But we're not like intentionally over investing in communities of color to ensure that they're able to like really build quality quality programs. Not to say that what people aren't, not to say that what people are currently doing isn't quality. I think that if you if you are creating equity around like funding and like supporting these organizations in a way that that was equitable then you would see much different outcomes much bigger movements um particularly for like on the diversity front if if those things and those programs were supported in in a more equitable way so there's i think there's a lot of problems and a lot of things that have to be solved for in order for us to like actually get to a place where that that trust is like a like a real thing and not just some surface level thing that we like check a box on Right.
0: Let's talk about our side of the pipeline as black people, as black and brown people. And I find Mm -hmm. that a lot of times, especially when I'm talking about the future and Afrofuturism, everybody is really cool with it being about fiction. You know, everybody is cool with it being about narrative. But when it actually comes down to the brass tacks of it we have to have some equity in creating the future ourselves. And a lot of the times black folk, brown folk, are looking to survive day to day. So, you know, what I hear a lot is, we don't have time to think about the future, we have to eat. And I know a lot of times when it comes to a tech career, a lot of black and brown folks don't choose a tech career because they know how challenging it might be in order to get that gig. You know, in order to get a, a space where inclusion and culture and you know equity and value are seen as something that they can contribute to and as something you know worth pursuing. So, how do we get our folk on our side of the pipeline to 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 see that there is a bigger picture involved? And although it may be challenging to get into these spaces and although it may be challenging to stay in these spaces, it's worthwhile to do the work. It's worthwhile to seek it out. It's worthwhile to get that information and create these, you know, coalitions like you've done that bring the conversation to them without feeling like, you know, we're not worth
1: it. Yeah. um, Okay. So there's a few things here. I think part of what I would actually like to, to to point back to like is you 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 said a little bit about like they you know, people may, you know, know that tech is probably a, a good space to like start in, but they don't feel like they want to be a part of it because of all of the microaggressions and challenges. I would actually like go back and say, particularly black people, particularly black people like myself who grew up poor, who exist in the world, um, particularly at the margins, um, I don't even think that we talk enough about like what this what this is. I didn't really learn about Silicon Valley until college, and then even then, I didn't understand it because there weren't a bunch of people around me who were, you know, going to work at these companies like Google and Facebook and a few other places came to my campus to recruit very specific people. Um, and so I think part of it is that I don't think you actually have the insight on. What this place is, what it can do, and its ability to like move folks out of poverty. So, like for me, I I talk a lot about like why coming to tech and why being in tech is so amazing. It has a lot of bullshit that comes along with it, but it's absolutely amazing in so much that this is one of the only places that, without having like a terminal degree, you could literally move out of poverty in, in a very short amount of time. Like, you know, I I talk about my own personal experience. My mother makes $12 or so an hour right now. And for me to exist in the world in the way that I do where I, you know, I am existing in spaces with Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan, who are billionaires, like, and that thinking about, like, what that does for my ability to, like, now live a pretty comfortable, well, an extremely comfortable life. Um, And so I think part of it now is about, like, how do I use the, the privilege that I have to be able to be in these spaces, to be able to exist in a way that I'm, you know, pretty much set for, <laughs> for the rest of my life to, to pay that forward, to, like, provide more access, to show folks that this is actually a really amazing opportunity. Yes, it has a bunch of challenges, but then how do you use those challenges in a way to, to really, 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 like, move move people forward? And so, I, for me, that I care more about that than like the folks who are under the like the idea that man this is too hard I can never get there I'm like okay let's go the step before that and talk about like here are the things that you should be doing this is how you get here this is what this place is this is why it's magical and this is like the way in which you can use this to to transcend the like the way you are currently and so for me that that's more important um, the reality is not everyone around me will will see that this is like their obligation to like push people forward. And there are people who actually enjoy the fact that they are one of the few. Um, and so we create you now we then create this other dynamic where that we often don't talk about where, you know, I have access to power and privilege and I want to hoard that um and ensure that I, you know, I'm not having to give that up to to other folks that look like me. Um, which is a, is a whole other dynamic, like I said, that people don't really talk about, but it totally exists. Big deal. Um, that is a and big I deal. To you. Yeah, and I think the idea of Afrofuturism, particularly um, as, as we're talking about it today, is about imagining and creating a future that isn't just like a few exceptions to the rule. You know, there's a bunch of us who exist here, but in the grand scheme of things, we're, we're a small amount and we're viewed as the exception. We're not like the other black people where, you know, where we're the respectable ones we're the good ones. I'm trying to like figure out how you can completely really get rid of that idea and ensure that there are more of us who, who are here, more of us who can benefit from this and really get rid of the idea of like exceptionalism. That that, that really bothers and boggles my mind that we, we have to exist in that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what you just said about there are some of us that are inside who want to, who, who benefit from being the only one inside. I think that's a big deal. Yeah. You know, I mean, that happens in in my field all the time where there's just one black writer or one black producer or one black yeah. director. And everybody goes, A, hey, all right, we got one, work done, finished. And then that black, yeah. you know, creative or the black writer or the black producer in that position is just like, now I can, you know, Rise to a level, and you know, be the guy, be the person, be the exception. Get on Oprah. You know what I mean? Like they, that there yep. is a big benefit to that, and that's something that we have to address. You know what I mean? And it's something that we have to talk about because, you know, because what we're talking about is tokenism. There is a benefit yeah. to being a token. You know, what I mean, there is, you know, it's more likely that the token will be just as exclusive to the other as, you know, the person in power. So I think we really have to have a, a strong conversation about that, especially when it comes to Silicon Valley, because what we're looking at right now is we're looking at a universe where you can literally create a world You can literally literally create worlds that human beings have to interact with, right? And that code to that world is being done in a process that has a mindset of some people can get in and some people can't, right? And I feel like that code transforms itself onto your screen, right? So whether or not we even recognize it, we're being something you know what i mean whether or not we even recognize it we're being informed in some type of way so how do we get that conversation to happen like how do we get the 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 folks who have made it in and who have this kind of well i'm kind of cool with being the only one how can we get that mindset not only to the forefront of the conversation, how can we even start approaching it and talking about it? Because now we're talking about us. Now we're talking about our laundry, right? And how do we adjust that mindset to show that the value is not in the one? What do we do it, as far as yeah. strategy and approach to do that?
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm mean, I that there are people that exist in the world that is, their job is to change the hearts and minds of, of people. I don't see myself as the person whose job it is to change the hearts and minds of folks who are the centers right, of the voice of the descent. I think my opportunity is to to lead with the folks who actually like want to go along on the journey who are actively like trying to figure out how we push the needle and push push the envelope and the folks who are on the other side who may not be black or brown to who want to like go along and actually be really good allies along the way Mm -hmm. so i see my job is to to continue to build a space to use the the power and privilege to like move forward in a way that whether you're on board or not the train the train will continue to move and so i think the, the opportunity here is to Work with the folks who, what do you call it, the committee of the willing, who are actually actively working towards solving the problem. Because if you're spending way too much time like trying to convince someone that this is an issue or that this is like the thing that we should be focusing on, we we leave people we leave people behind, and we spend we're spending too much time, energy, and effort on on that. So I think that there should exist those people who are doing that. Um, I just see that my job is more of a like let's move this thing forward, let's move the train forward in a way that are pulling people on board, that is being intentional about like how we how we approach um, the opportunity, being creative about like the way in which we build space and build community. Um and I, I see that my job my job is that. Um, and I'll leave the other piece of it to to my colleagues who who are doing some very interesting work on that front. I don't think that's my job. Right but on. you know I could be completely wrong
0: <laughs> Well it seems to be working for you you know Chan Zuckerberg seems to be you know this really innovative place where um, you know you have built diversity and inclusion into the infrastructure. Can you talk about what you guys are doing right now?
1: Um, I'm not I can't talk about it too much you know part of it is still new yeah. and part of what I I want us to to be is not like oh, we just got lucky. I want to be able to see if, in a year, when we're double the size that we are now, if we're able to to maintain what we've a, we've been able to do, um, and get better. The fact of the matter is, there are a lot of things that have gone well, but there are things that we, you know, we're actively working on, working to improve, actively working to like get better at. Um, so I will leave it at very high level because I think, until like we can actually say, damn. Marie CZI is doing these amazing things and they've maintained the, the diversity numbers that they have they've increased the, you know the the, the the perception in the community there's a lot of things like we, we still need to figure out if it's right before I talk too much about it but what I will say is that there is an active intent and an active like approach to like building that to building community to being as authentic as possible to using the resources that exist there to to really rethink and reimagine like how we how we do the work and the cool thing about it is that I get to create a whole bunch of crazy experiments that if I was somewhere else I probably wouldn't be able to do so I would say invite me back on in, in, in a year and then I can talk to you more about what what some of those details are
0: well that's a bet I'm definitely gonna do that um, where can we find you if you want to know more about you and more about what you're doing? What, what are your handles, man? Where's that? What's the IG? What's the Twitter? What's the website? What is it?
1: <laughs> I don't have a website. I need to work on that. Um, and I really suck at Twitter, but my, I use LinkedIn so you can always hit me up on LinkedIn. If you're on, if that's your thing. Uh, my name is Maurice, Maurice, we Wilkins on LinkedIn and, and Facebook. And then on Instagram, my handle is mo underscore blues. Right on! Great movies by Lee, Denzel Washington, yep. Wesley Snipes. <laughs> One of my yeah, favorites. man.
0: Right on. Well, Maurice, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate your insight. Really appreciate what you're doing. And it's a really great conversation to have. It's one I have all the time. And um, it's probably going to be one I have a better handle on since talking to you. You were very insightful. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. Let's stay in touch. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, you got a a standing one year later follow-up interview. All right. So I'm going to hold you to that.
1: Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. We can put on the calendar now. Dope. All right. Thank you, brother. Great talking. Cool. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. You too, man. Mm-hmm. Watch.
0: Thank you for listening to the Afro Futurist Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. If you'd like to be a sponsor of the show please contact me at Ahmed Best at com or at Ahmed Best on Twitter. If you have any ideas of any great guests that we would like to talk to on the Afrofuturist podcast, please contact me again at Ahmed Best at com or contact me on Twitter at Ahmed Best. Thank you all for listening again,
1: and I'll see you next time.